UX Podcast Episode 140. Hello and welcome to UX Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm James Royal Lawson. And I'm Pat Axbohm. And we're balancing business, technology and users every other Friday from Stockholm, Sweden. And today is going to be all about stories. It's just kind of cozy, so crawl up to your fireplace and pull a blanket over you and listen to this episode. Even if you're in your your car. (laughs) We should should start with Once Upon a Time, shouldn't we? We should have started with Once Upon a Time. I really love stories. And uh, I've really been looking forward to this interview. Uh, I use a lot of storytelling, of course, as, as people do. In, in when doing talks, uh, when trying to write articles. Uh, most recently, I even used the story of Little Red Riding Hood in my talk. Uh, but re- reading her book, the, uh, Donna, we're talking Donna Litshaw today. <laughs> it's good that, good that you mentioned <laughs> <Yeah>. that. <laughs> and she's written a book uh, about story it's mapping. It's the user's, the user's journey, story mm. mapping products that people yeah. love. Uh, and, it's, and she introduces this really, really simple tool uh, and, and of course, it's, it's simple in a sense, but it, it takes some time to actually wrap your head around it to make it simple uh, when you use it, I think. because Yeah, I, th- I think so. The, the, um, I mean, I've been reading the book too during this summer, and, mm-hmm. and it's, the, it's the classic storytelling arc that mm-hmm. we're seeing um, you know, in, in different contexts, in different applications, in different um, uses uh, quite regularly. Mm-hmm. But it does take you a little while to get used to the different applications she has of it in the stages of the book. Yeah. But let's let Donna explain it and uh, we'll get back to you in the outro. In most apps, mobile customer service is just a contact us link that launches an email. UX wise, this sucks. However, using the Zendesk Embeddables mobile SDK, you can improve your UX and bring native in-app support to your app quickly and easily. Learn more at zendesk.com slash UX (laughs) podcast. It is uh, excellent having you on the show, Donna. And uh, actually, I was reading up on your webpage, and I saw that besides uh, or before working with UX and technology, uh, you actually were an award-winning documentary filmmaker. So uh, my first question actually was going to be, what's your story? <laughs> That's a, a good question. Thanks for having me on the show, by the way. Um, so yeah, I, I was uh, I was a documentary filmmaker. Um, I, you know, I say before working in tech because it's just the timeline is it's easier to to say that. But uh, I was doing the the um, two 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 uh, at the same time. Um, I was uh, making documentary films in um, in college and then uh, in after college and then uh, in in graduate school as well. And um, uh, my thing is that. I wanted to make films about kind of everyday life, things that seem otherwise mundane that we, we take for granted um, and that we don't pay attention to, things like um, uh, I made a documentary once about um, uh, alleyways and how, uh, you know, why they exist in cities and 
um, uh, something about the front porch. So that's what I did as a, a documentary filmmaker. At the um, same time, when I was in school and uh, especially after school, I was working as a, a web designer. And this was in the late 90s where um, we were all kind of teaching ourselves how to build things on the web. And so that would be uh, my my job after school, my, my kind of night job during college. And then um, when I graduated, uh, that's where that's where the work was. It was uh, um, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, and so I kind of always did documentary and um, worked in web at the at the same time. But in the end, uh, web and, and tech uh, won over, which um, which is great. I don't I don't mind. I don't mind at all. And I don't miss documentary making, uh, filmmaking that much. But it is something you see quite a lot in the UX industry, that people come from right, quite varied backgrounds, but they take with them what they used to do and bring that into the UX world, because UX is so broad, really. Yeah, UX is so broad, yeah. and it's also yeah. so new in a sense. And so yeah. when, uh, you know, probably about 10 years ago when I was, um, uh, I was working in tech at the time and trying to think... Um, about this whole user experience thing and trying to figure out how can I fold some of these new practices into my existing practice and are there things I don't know about and what I found over time is that as um, user experience and user-centered design practices philosophy and tools started to get more evolved they started to resemble a lot of the practices and tools that I learned as a filmmaker and um, it's, it's not a coincidence a lot of us come um, from film and not only that a lot of great design practices are borrowed from film because filmmakers for um, a little over 100 years now have have spent a lot of time perfecting the art of engaging an audience uh, using screen-based interfaces um, on the one hand and with documentary specifically uh, you know I spent years learning how to talk to people do research do interviews and to synthesize that into something that then goes on screen that people um, engage with so there's a lot of a lot of crossover yeah, it's nice. that, that lovely combination of, of wisdom that that we've gained from earlier um, careers and experiences, um, combined with that, that that opportunity to 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 be creative and and reapply it, like you say, into into this maturing world of user experience that we're in. Yeah, and it's you know even even something like film. It's funny to uh, now be in a field where a rather new field relatively new field where we're borrowing so much from film but when i was making films and studying film and and teaching as well i um taught film in grad school and what um uh is interesting about film is that's a relatively new technology it's again only a little over 100 years old and so um film has always borrowed from other media and other uh communication forms so everyone borrows from everyone and that's um that's totally okay that's that's how things uh get done that's how things get better yeah and that's and that's a wonderful segue into into your book and and the user's journey story mapping products that people love because this is an application of that filmmaking um, knowledge and wisdom that you've got to um ux yeah, yeah, which is essentially, uh, you know, borrowing something that film borrowed from um, theater that borrowed from Aristotle, and it, you know, goes mm-hmm. back many, uh, many thousands, thousands of years. So you brought forward this tool called story mapping, uh, and 
first off, uh, I think we need to clarify for those listening, of course, it's not about storytelling and it's not about agile story mapping. It's actually about making stories and uh, using that tool of making a story to make users heroes of that story. Am I right? <laughs> yes, <laughs> exactly. And if, if you um, use any uh, of the aforementioned tools like storytelling to convince people of things in your work, or if you use something like agile user story mapping, um, the type of story mapping I'm talking about is a great way to lay a foundation of better understanding how you're going to engage people on the other end so that the things that you do um, the things that you do are that much better and that much more effective. But what I'm talking about in, um, in the book and in the workshops I teach and in, in the talks that I give is a kind of uh, classic um, literally mapping out the story. And that it, does, it is something that goes back to um, uh, Aristotle who was looking at Greek, Greek theater and trying to figure out, you know, how come Greek theater works so well and it captures people in the audience and what he realized is that there was a common structure to um, the most successful Greek plays and so he mapped out that structure and th that mapping became a, a I'd say prescriptive um, but a framework that guided uh, dramatic everything ever since and it's a framework that um you know applies to films and that uh, i now use to to help teams build um better products so 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 can you quickly just tell us what that structure of a story is yeah so the um the structure of of a story and it and it is that that simple which is why i i love it it can get way more complex but i find for the type of work that we do staying simple is um it's much better and much more effective so the idea is that uh, there, every story has a, a beginning, middle, and an end. Sometimes um, that's what we call three-act structure. And um, whether you have three acts or not, again, that's when it can get all complex. But just think, beginning, middle, and end. Um, and the beginning, you're introduced to a hero. And so for, um, you know, in a movie, you're introduced to a character on a screen. But if you're creating a product or something that someone is going to eventually use, the hero is your user or your, your customer. And so you always want to ask yourself, um, that hero, what is their big goal? What do they want to get out of, um, out of life? but as it relates to your, your product or service. Then um, early on, there's a problem that arises. So uh, with product design development, you want to ask yourself, um, what's the problem? Why can't they meet that goal without using your product? Then um, you uh, go into what we call rising action, and that just means everything has to get step-by-step step more interesting than the last step or the last thought. Um, around three quarters of the way through the story, there's always something that could go wrong. And in a, in a movie, that thing does go wrong. But in, um, uh, like in a buddy movie, uh, that's when the two people always get into a big fight. And then you wonder, oh, my God, how, how are they going to make up? What's, what's going to happen? They have to get back on the road so they can do that thing that they're doing. Um, but with uh, product development, if you, you use it as a thought exercise to think, why might someone not adopt your product? Or why might someone not complete this flow or successfully use your product? Um, then there's a high point, and we quite literally call that the climax. It's it's um, like what's the best part of the, using this product? Why would I um, why would I use it to solve my problem? And how is that awesome? 
And, um, and then in the end, just to wrap up, it's, um, uh, you just have to ask yourself what, what next, how is this, um, how is this going to end? Because if, uh, a movie ended when, um, you know, the bad guy beat the good or the, the, that would be a tragedy. If the good guy beat the bad guy and there were explosions and then the credits rolled, it would be very unsatisfying. Um, just like a, uh, in a, a product flow, um, for like a website, for example, if you ended on the thank you page, that would feel very unsatisfying as well. So you always want to ask yourself when you're building things, um, then what, what do you want your user to feel, think, um, or do at the end of the story? So that, that's it in a nutshell. That's excellent. And, and you, you said it was simple. And that's really what I loved about your book. This You use the same tool throughout and give different examples and you have these different story types, but it really is simple. And you can see how it does make a difference when you look at it. There are some things that I learned a lot from. Some things I would have expected probably was, I, I thought, okay, I would have the hero uh, who had a goal and then I had these obstacles and then my solution would come. But you presented the solution or the service beforehand. And then we thought about, well, how does that solution uh, deal with the obstacles or impediments or whatever we call them, uh, which I really liked, which which meant that I could tell the story of how I used that tool instead of finding the tool afterwards. Uh, so in that order, it made much more sense to me all of a sudden. Yeah, I mean, if um, mm. you think about it like uh, the, the, the solution or the goal first, it's almost um, uh, this I actually I didn't end up including in the book, there was one, um, I think it was a subsection or maybe it was an entire chapter that my editor, <laughs> she, her response was, oh my God, uh, too detailed cut. And, you know, I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad we took it out. I might do something with it, um, another day, but, um, the idea with, um, uh, screenwriting and storytelling in general is that sometimes you start from the end of a story and you work your way back. And doing so helps you have a goalpost and something that you're striving for and an end state that you want to end up at. But you um, working your way back for some reason, just I think it's almost like a thought exercise that helps you deconst objectively deconstruct all of the plot points that would structurally work the best and help you figure out how to get all the way back to the beginning. Whereas if you start a story from the beginning, what often happens, and I ended up doing this a lot with my, my less successful films that um, I made many years ago, is when you just start at the beginning, you can kind of lose track and fall off course. And in the end, you have a story that kind of, and then this happened, and then that happened, and then this happened. And then you're, you're thinking, oh, I need to end it. <laughs> and you do, and it's not always very good. So... You know, starting with the goal first is, is um, again, it's a good technique that a lot of storytellers use, but it's also something that a lot of us are already familiar with. It's it's one of the um, one of the tenets of user centered design, which is um, you know sometimes we call it goal oriented design, and you, we always want to think, all right, what does uh, our persona or character or user type or market, whatever we call them, um, what do they need to do, and how are we going to help them do it? But that's 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 a little bit um, like um, producing the backstory, laying down you know, the the backstory at the beginning there to 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 set the scene for the rest of the journey. Yeah, well, what so what thinking about the end and the big goal that you want them to reach at the end helps you do um, is, and I think this is something I could have sworn Aristotle said this, but I could never find the quote. But it it helps you then build the exposition and the introduction and the beginning and set the stage 
for um, uh, almost coming full circle. And sometimes that's why um, story diagrams are sometimes circular because that end is everything that you set up at the beginning. So if the, the person is someone that needs to, um, uh, they need to get places and that's their big goal. They need to get places and they need to be places on time and know where they're going. So at the beginning of the story, that is something that if you're telling a story, you introduce that early on, that this is what the person needs to do and is trying to do. Um, and if it's something like um, a, let's say you're designing a flow that starts from a homepage and ends in a confirmation email. On the homepage, that's when you reiterate, um, and this is when you bring your marketing team into your brainstorming sessions. On that homepage, you reiterate uh, and let people know that you as a brand, as a company, know that they are someone who needs to get places. And so mm -hmm. that's when, you know, marketing people often write better copy than UX people um, or product people. So it's kind of the job of the whole company to understand the story. But um, yeah, there are a lot of ways to reiterate those goals, not just at the beginning, but throughout the story and, and reaffirm that you know what the character is going through or you know what the user is going through. Yeah. Now, I, like that. I like the circular aspect of that because, of course, if you, if you, it's got to feed back around again because the, the person at the beginning is the person at the end, just they've gone through a journey. And if you don't match the two up, then it's just not going to work, is it? You've got, they've got to match up again. Exactly. They've got to match up. Uh, the other thing, though, is um, that user or character has to be better off than when they started as well. Yeah. So it's like they match up, yeah. but they can't just be in the same, um, in the same state. And, and mm. this is something else that um, we ended up cutting from the book because, it, again, it got way too complex. I, I'll call these like the, the B-sides of the book, but um, there's a... It to you know I'll geek out for a moment, but in um, uh, classic television there are two story structure types. There is the um, the serial story, and so that's pretty much what I talk about with the narrative arc, and that's on a timeline, and you have episodes, and then this episode happens, and the next episode, and it gets better and better as the season goes on, and you're hooked. And then there's a um, a sitcom story structure, which is more circular. And it the idea with sitcom, old classic sitcoms, is that the main character, by the end of the episode, they should always um, be exactly where they started. They should not be any better off than they <laughs> yeah. were. Because yeah, they, the reset, yeah. Yeah, it resets so that you can have uh, reruns and you can watch um, sitcoms out of order and um, it all oh, works. Yeah. That wow. said, TV writers now do things differently. Even sitcoms have more of a um, like a soap opera narrative structure. But at the same time, The Simpsons would be no fun to watch anymore if Bart was like 32 years old, would it? Mm. I mean, <laughs> wheeling home around in his wheelchair, it's not, it wouldn't work. So it needs to reset. Yeah. Yep, yeah. So it's it's like... It, yeah, in The Simpsons, and it, it needs to always be reset. So the the way I like to think of it is if um if you're designing um the story arc for a tiny little task, then you can think of it as circular. Like at the end, I add a calendar event, and okay, great, and I'm gonna do it again, and I'm gonna do it again, do it again. But um actually, even then, you still have to be better off than when you started. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think I, in the end, <laughs> I mean, this is why we cut it from the book. In the end, sitcom structure does not work for product design because yeah. we are on a timeline. As mm -hmm. humans, we need to keep developing and progressing. And um, mm -hmm. I can't be going back to where I was. Yeah, we need yeah. to achieve something or we wouldn't be using the product. Yeah. 
yeah. I mean, I, when I was reading the book, um, I, I I haven't read the whole thing yet. I must admit, I'm, I've gone past my normal thing about four chapters. I think we joked about this on Twitter that I've actually. I'm actually in the second half, so it's good. Um, but um, one thing um, you talk about was, the, I think, the blue sky th- thing about you've got to present kind of happy stories. Um, it's a good strategy to kind of like produce some of the good happy stories because you don't. It's difficult to sell the kind of like sad stories and the tragedies. But at the same time, we deal with with a lot of tragedy in our products and our websites. That there's there's abandonment, there's people, there's usability issues, there's people who fail. Now, I had a question. You know, do we do we there? Is that two stories? If we have happy endings and tragedies, are they two stories, or is it one story that's like forked at the climax? That is a a great question. I um I was giving a talk last week, and someone um someone asked that the you know same exact question it comes up a lot, and so there my answer to that is there are two ways to treat the um, unhappy stories. And um, so in either way, I'll call them edge cases or troubleshooting because so edge cases are when you're working on something new, it's a way to troubleshoot what could go wrong with this flow. So let's say you're designing a checkout flow. Um, It could be, you know, what could go wrong? Well, the credit card could be expired. They might not have a credit card. They, and on and on and on. There are a lot of reasons why um, people would not be able to get through that flow. And so if you're trying to get people over the hurdle for something new that you're developing, I like to consider edge cases in um, uh, the crisis point. So the, the plot point that is the crisis um, is the one that's three quarters of the way through a story arc. And it's the one that happens right before the climax, which is the best part of the mm. story. So if your question, and this is important too, which is you always need to think about stories as a question answered. And so if you as a designer product team, whether you're a designer, product manager, or engineer, uh, or even, even marketing person, um, if you don't have a question to answer, then you don't need to map out a story. But if your question is something like, um, how do we make sure people complete this flow and what might get in their way? Uh, for that checkout flow, that crisis point, the potential issues that could arise are all the things that I mentioned, you know, the, the mm. credit cards expired and, and mm. so forth. And so you then use story as an exercise to figure out how do we get people over that last hurdle. So let's say they're almost done with the flow and then you say, hey, now we want your credit card. And the, um, the crisis, the problem that could arise is, hey, I'm a first time customer. I don't want to give you my credit card, I don't know if it's safe, then you can overcome that hurdle with a few design choices that will get people over the hurdle. So um, sometimes I've worked with companies where it's a matter of like, we need to put a security emblem on that screen, letting people know that they can check out safely, or it might be adding a new feature like PayPal checkout. Um, you know, there are different things and you can prioritize and deprioritize based on the importance of this to complete the story. Another way to think about things that could go wrong or edge cases is, um, is exactly what you said, which is this idea of, um, like thinking of it like a cliffhanger or a tragedy. Mm. And so that I like doing if I'm assessing a flow or a product that isn't working as well as it should be currently. So, um, for example, um, 
uh, I worked with a, a company a few years ago where they um, they had a checkout flow where they uh, they had a problem and people weren't completing um, completing the checkout. They would get maybe to the third step to the payment screen, and at the point where they needed to collect the user's uh, credit card information. People were dropping off and not not continuing, and so we what we had mapped out was you know a cliffhanger, and we used that as a thought exercise to figure out okay like why how do we get people over this hurdle? And so we ran experiments by doing things like oh what if we add PayPal? What if we add a security emblem that we were missing? Um, you know do we need to reassure people? And that helped a little bit but then when we went out and talked to potential users and existing customers we um, got a more complete picture of the story and what it turned out this was an enterprise product it turned out the the climax and the way that we got people over this final hurdle was by putting a phone number on that that payment screen and saying hey do you have any questions call our sales team and we'll help you out and so now that flow is actually barely ever completed online. And it uh, is a, a more cross-platform story where the company ended up building a giant sales team to field all these phone calls and they complete all, most of their sales um, by phone. Mm-hmm. And so you know, so there are different ways to, to look at, at story, but mm-hmm. what's important here from the business perspective is that sales call, it's the climax of this story. And so for the, the first call this episode one, um, it's the climax of the story. So this sales team is so well trained. They, you know, their bedside manner is so perfect. Like it has to be the best sales call ever. Otherwise, that's going to be what people remember when when they get off the phone, whether they do or don't make the, the that first time purchase. Mm-hmm. So you can use story in different ways, but edge cases are very important. That is a fantastic example, <laughs> and it's so important about the cross platform solution as well. Really. There's one more thing I really wanted because there's, there's one, one more important insight that I got when I was reading the book. Uh, you, one of your user story types is the origin story, which really appealed to me because then you think about X-Men origins and I thought about Wolverine origins. And uh, I immediately started thinking, okay, so what would be the UX podcast origin story? And I started thinking about James and me flying back on an airplane and, and talking about doing the podcast. And then I read, finished reading the chapter and realized – I'm going about this the wrong way because now I'm going. I'm talking about the business. I'm talking about us, and I should be talking about the hero, the listener. So what's the listener origin story? And that was really a huge epiphany moment for me, actually. Damn, I'm falling into that trap again. I'm talking about us instead of talking about that person <laughs> on the other side. The ego story. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, so, so here, here's the thing, which is um, – and it's something that, and I purposely called it an origin story as such because typically in business, an origin story means how did the company, uh, how was the company founded, or how was this organization started? And um, you know, for the most part, I and I, you know, I say this, take it with a grain of salt, but no one cares about your origin story. <laughs> However, they don't; they care about their own. Yeah. But if your origin story echoes 
what could be my story as a listener, then I'll be that much more interested. So, um, uh, you know, for example, if you think about, um, you know, uh, a lot of the origin stories for big famous technology companies, uh, you know, go a little something like this. Oh, there were two best friends that were working in a garage and hacking away and they invented the, the personal computer and, you know, the rest is, the rest is history. Um, now that's, you know, it could be a great story, but it it matters to your users or your customers if your brand is about innovation then and if your customers want to feel innovative by paying a lot of money for your pretty you know pretty computer then that's a great origin story to have talking about how two people reinvented the world in their garage and so you you know you can have your origin story uh, kind of um, get people really excited, but you have to make sure that it does. If your origin story was, I was walking down the street one day and I had this great idea, and you know, no one really cares, then <laughs> you know, it, it, it really doesn't matter. Or if you know, your origin story um, is, uh, I let's say you're you've got a cooking company and it's something like. Um, uh, you know, I used to cook all the time, but I, I found that I didn't have time to cook really nice um, dinners. And so I came up with a system for cooking really fast weeknight dinners. And um, that's that, let's say that's my company's origin story. But your company is about luxury foods. You know, like it's, that's not the story that people want to hear. So you always have to make sure that the, the two coincide. But really, it's yeah. about your customer. Everything's about your customer, your user. If they're not excited, then you're not going to make money. And you, you know that's how you meet business goals, by getting people excited. I think it's actually time for our heptascale questions. Uh, do you remember how they go? I, I actually have to repeat this for the listeners. Yep, thinking, yeah. about, thinking about the listeners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you will answer two questions, one from each of us. You will answer with a number from one to seven. How to respond will become apparent by the question itself. And you are not allowed to comment on the questions other than with the number. On a scale of one to seven, how much do you hate personas? Oh, that, oh sorry. No comment. Um, You loaded that question as well, Pat. You said hate personas. So you've already loaded that with kind of negative. Anyway, I'm commenting now and I shouldn't. All right. Okay. Here's my question. Um, (laughs) On a scale of one to seven, how important is the brand storyline in story mapping? Seven. Ooh. See that? Yeah. I have a lot to say Mm. about that, but Mm. I, I, uh, no comment. Oh, okay. No, no. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll give you one minute to say something. (laughs) Because that, that surprised me because it was seven and that, that yeah. really, I didn't think you'd say seven. I thought, no, go on, go on, say your, your minute, go for it. Well, so, okay, Here, here's the thing. Um, it, there's, a, a diff, there's, there's a brand and there's a product. And so products are what I talk about. They have a very simple story structure to them. Um, it's what's the problem? How is it better than the alternative? How are you going to turn your, your customer into a hero? Um, and why are they going to love what they just used your product for? Done. Now, how brands don't quite fit into that because if you think about um, – uh, I had someone in a workshop who was trying to figure this out recently. Starbucks. They were trying to map out the story of Starbucks. And, you know, it got, it, it's like, 
we can map out the story of a Starbucks app. We can tell you why an app to buy coffee is better than going into a store or why it might not be. But, you know, why is Starbucks better than the rest? Well, is there a story about Starbucks being com- about calmness and about, um, you know, relaxation or that doesn't doesn't have to be a story. But so there's the brand attributes, which are essential. And that's something that um, if if your branding team says that your brand is about um, fun and excitement and it's big and bold, then all of your product stories have to echo that and they have to have that feeling um, as as part of the foundation. If your brand is about sereneness and relaxation, I don't always see that there's a story there, but it should be echoed in all of your product stories. So mm-hmm. it's it should be brand first, and then that should feed into your product. But sometimes the two, you might start with a product, and then becomes it becomes the brand. But um, you know, is Starbucks coffee really better than you know? Well, actually, coffee is a product. Is Starbucks as a brand better than? another brand uh, you know no it just has different attributes yeah yeah excellent that was a great answer it was um wonderful talking to you as well um today. yeah this was fantastic yeah <laughs> i wish we could go longer but we'll actually we'll have to talk to you again yeah, yeah. When, you, when you do when you do book two and use all those chapters we just talked about that you didn't manage exactly. to include so <laughs> definitely i know when the b-sides come out yeah yeah lovely talking to you thanks for having me this is great Do you know, that was one of the few times I've actually taken notes. I've been typing notes while we've been talking to a person we've interviewed. You should I mean, not be taking notes. I know, James. I know. I can, I can hear Steve Portugal telling me, you know, you know, be present, listen to the person you're talking to. But the thing is that Donna... Donna gave, you are allowed to listen back to the episode, you know. I, I know, but I, got a, I posed some questions and, and Donna gave some excellent answers. Yeah. And my fingers just went, oh my God, I've got, I've got to write this down kind of now so i actually scribbled some things down um and that was that was that was just a reflection about how how useful and how interesting um donna's use of storytelling um uh, is it is it's so simple and useful and that's the genius of it i think but it it, like we i think we were talking about in the intro as well it, it takes some time wrapping your head around it because even you and I talking about this interview a week after we actually did it, and we were thinking of, well, when does when does our product come into it? Is it the climax? Is it the beginning? Uh, no. Get out of yourself. It's, it's about the user. It's about that person using your product and their challenges. It's not about your product and how it fits into that necessarily. Not in the first instance. No. It's it's it's, um, it's user centric. I mean, yeah. we we got hung up a little bit on on origin stories, mm. which is a, I think that's one of the more difficult aspects of this to mm. get your head around. Is mm. origin stories is so easy um, to get confused with, like an ego story, you know, the founder story, um, or, or even brand story, I guess. Mm. Whereas it's yeah, it's the user's origin. It's where it's where their story, their journey starts, um, and your product is is part of that story. Ultimately, the focus, but Ultimately, the highlight of it, I guess, the climax of it, but it centers around them. And that's such a wonderful kind of, oh, yeah, it centers around them. Mm. And when and you it's kind of so like, obvious, but you hate yourself for not understanding it straight away. <laughs> you get kind of frustrated. It's like, God damn, of course it's all about them. God yeah. damn, we're UX practitioners. It's always about yeah. them. But, but you kind of, 
no, it's the first instances. It's about us. It's our product. What are we, you know, doing with it? Yeah. Oh. So I do I actually, really recommend uh, reading Donna's book. Uh, it's a great read. Absolutely, mm. it's um, it is a really good read. Mm. I'm not quite finished with it yet, but I'm nearly there. <laughs> Thank you to Sendesk for sponsoring this episode. And remember to visit Sendesk.com slash UX podcast to find out more about their in-app support. Um, Show notes and links from this episode are available at UXpodcast.com. If you're not already a subscriber, then um, go on. Go ahead and add us to your favorite podcast listening platform. Do it now. Do it now. We're we're everywhere. iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and... um, yeah, you, you name it, just search for us. Um, thank you all for taking the time to listen. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Knock, knock. Who's there? Old school SEO. Old school SEO who? Old school SEO will take this knock-knock joke to the top of Google by knock-knocking your socks off. It will knock-knock your marketing out of the park and give you a big win over your competition by knock-knock out. (laughs) These really are terrible, aren't they? (laughs) They're excellent. Oh, God. (laughs)